Hello, welcome back to the Pulpit to Pew podcast and this week's adult Bible study as we continue our series entitled, But God, and we are on, I believe, the 11th or 12th study in this series, and this week we're in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, and we're looking really at the subject of God giving the increase, and what does that mean, and what was the context of when he said that, what was going on in this church, what problems were going on in this church, and so we're in 1 Corinthians this week. Thank you for being a part of the pod- podcast, part of the study. A new newsletter will be coming out tomorrow if you're listening to this when it comes out, which will be here in just a few minutes on a Sunday. Newsletter drops every Monday, sometimes Sunday night, and I may even do this one on a Sunday night. So make sure you subscribe, make sure you get it. This one is very special to me, and I want you to get it. If you've missed them, some of them I'm trying to put archived back at thebradmcclure.org, and you can go to join the Pulpit Pew crew. You can catch some of them there, or you can find some of them on our Facebook page. So, without further ado, here is this week's study on But God, God Gives the Increase. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. Let me ask you, maybe this is just how I always view the Bible. Of course, I went to college and studied it, and I've memorized it in weird ways sometimes, but... When you hear about 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, and you think about the church of Corinth, does anything come to your mind? If not, you're not like weird or failing the test, but when you hear church of Corinth, does anything come to your mind? Anybody want to say what comes to your mind? <laughs> Other than we just get on with it? All right. Well, here's what comes to my mind. When I hear Corinth, I think confusion and a mess of a church. They were a mess. You don't see a lot of, though there are some, Corinth Baptist churches. There are some. I was in one town and they had a Corinth Baptist church and I thought, does that pastor realize, or the founder of that church realize that Corinth was the most messed up church? Paul was lining them out the whole time. And we're going to see that a little bit today. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is where we are. And verse, let's start in verse 1. And he says this, And I, brethren, he, he is referring to them as believers. This is a church, just a messed up church. And he says, I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. Wow, that's pretty bold. Imagine Eric Getch coming in for our revival meetings in a few weeks and saying, Church, Faith Baptist Church, I can't even speak to you spiritual things. You guys aren't spiritual. <laughs> like, all right, here's a love offering. Let's pass the plate around and see what this guy gets. I mean, this was a strong letter. But he's, he's telling them the truth. I could not speak to you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. That means fleshly, even as unto babes in Christ. It goes even farther. So he says, hey guys, I can't even speak to you as if you are spiritual, but rather that you are living after your flesh. Now, that's a, those terms Paul uses a lot. He uses the word carnal there. It can reflect also and help us to remember. I go, my mind goes to Galatians chapter number 5 when it talks about the works of the flesh, carnal, versus the works of the walking in the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. But he's basically saying to them, I can't even speak to you spiritually because you are so fleshly. You're, you're so carnal right now. And he says, you're like a babe in Christ. You're just, you're still a, a baby spiritually. 
because you're so fleshly. And you think about babies, you know, they're cute, they're all those little things, but they're little selfish things, are they not? I mean, that little baby sits there and whines because it wants attention, it whines because it wants you to do this for them and you do this for them. They are super needy. And I, I love kids, but that's what babies are. And so he's saying, he's using the analogy of a baby that naturally is needy and only thinking of self because they haven't matured to really think about others. It would be really weird if we could hear a baby's thoughts and that baby thought, how can I really benefit my mom's life today? That would just be weird. It doesn't think that way. It's not born that way. And so he's using the illustration of an immature, flesh, uh, self-centered baby to say to this church, that's how you are spiritually. So strong start for Paul out of the gates here. But he goes to, the, to this extent, he says this, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither, are you, uh, neither now are ye able. And there's some more strong words and, and still coming off of that illustration that he used of a baby, he said, you know, we all understand that if a baby was brought in here right now, or if you're working in the nursery and you're trying to feed the babies in the nursery steak, you're probably not going to be a nursery worker very long in our church. They can't handle that food. They have to have the milk. They cannot, they cannot process meat yet. And he's saying, spiritually speaking, this church of Corinth, the people that he was writing to, he, they were at a time in their lives, a stage in their, that they've been a Christian long enough that they ought to be handling the meat of the word of God, but they were still on the milk. And so we understand, I think from this context, that there is some areas of growth that is expected in our lives as Christians. If you've been saved for 10 years, then, then there's an ex expectation in your life that you have grown some spiritually. And there's some responsibility on all of us. A lot of people want to sit back and say it's the church. I'm talking about the church in general, not Faith Baptist Church. But the church's fault if people don't grow. And there's some, some part to that. There are some churches that are real big about seeing people saved and they don't do any discipleship. They don't really teach the Word of God a lot. And it's more topically based and it's, there's not a, like Sunday school that goes through different passages. And so there's no discipleship classes. It's just basically see them all saved and then let them figure it out. And so, yeah, to some extent, that could be the church's fault. But you also, we have a responsibility as individuals to grow. You know, I'm, I'm not at church on Monday or Tuesday. I am on Wednesday, but I'm not on Thursday, not on Friday, not on Saturday. But God still wants a relationship with me on those days. And I have a responsibility to grow. I have a responsibility to feed myself. Just physically you know my wife was gone yesterday shopping and i didn't sit back and say oh well, i don't know what i'm gonna do i don't have anybody to feed me i had to figure it out and it was really easy things for the kids but actually i fixed something last night didn't i that wasn't too bad but but we i, I had to figure it out and we don't sit back and say well i'm not at church so i just can't grow no you you get into the word of god and you study the word of god and so but they were at a situation that there was a contrast here where they were, in a, they, they were saved long enough where there ought to have been some growth in their life and they ought to be handling some more meaty things in the scripture and having an understanding of what they believe and why they believe it and how to, how to share the gospel. And they should have been at this stage, but they were still on the milk of God's word. And I realize in, the, in my classroom right now, there's going to be some that just naturally, because you've not been saved a long time, you're still in the milk of God's word. 
And there's some of you been saved for some time and been growing and you're on the meat of God's word. And that's where it makes it a little interesting as a teacher is you're trying to feed everyone. But the truth of the matter is the spirit of God is the one that makes that application. And we need to be challenging ourselves to not stay on the milk, but to grow and to get into God's word. Now, we haven't got to our but God phrase yet. We're going to get there. But he's starting out with some contrast here, and he's just showing them, guys, he said, you need to grow spiritually. You don't, don't stay in this state of carnal and fleshly, but grow spiritually. You need to get from the milk to the meat. But then we got to figure out why, what was the problem? Because he's going to tell them right here, there was something that was keeping them from getting to that level of growth. There was a hindrance in this church. There was a lot of them that he dealt with, but here's the one he deals with right here, verse 3. For ye are yet carnal. Yeah, you told us that. He says, For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? Here was the big holdup for this church right here. Here's what was keeping them in a carnal walk right now in their life, is their life was filled with these three things that are all tied. They're all cousins. They were filled with envy, strife, and divisions. So they were envious of each other. They were fighting with each other and they were dividing in this church. Some were taking the side of this person. Some were taking the side of this person. Some were going to Brian's Sunday school class and making these people mad. And some were going to my Sunday school class and making them. It's kind of like we just did this whole series. No, I didn't. We didn't fight about it, but they, they were fighting all the time. They were envious of each other. There was constant strife and the constant strife was keeping them from growing spiritually. They were carnal. It, it was putting them in a carnal position. It was a work of the flesh, strife, and divisions, and envying all the time is, is fleshly and not spiritual. It's not a fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is not strife. The fruit of the Spirit is not envy. It's not divisions. That's one of the 19 works of the flesh in Galatians. And so they kept having this, and so they could not grow. It was something that was stopping them from growing and breaking through. And, some, and then he goes a little farther. Some of their strife was this. He said, for while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos. Are ye not carnal? Here's what Paul wrote. Some of them were saying, hey, you know what? I like Paul's preaching better. I like his preaching better. I like he came through town, and I like what he said. So I'm on team Paul. And others were over here saying, well, I liked Apollos. Apollos was a, a, a philosopher. He was a thinker. He was, was well-spoken, very, very um, intellectual. And some were identifying with him. And so because some were identifying with him and others were identifying him, it was causing division in the church. But the whole time, Paul and Apollos, they were friends. There was no, there was no division between Paul and Apollos. It was in the followers in the church that wanted to cause divisions. You know, this happened with Abraham and Lot, did it not? If you remember studying in Genesis, I don't remember the past, around 13 or so, it said that the herdmen of Abraham and the herdmen of Lot were fighting. And because the herdmen of Lot were fighting and the herdmen of Abraham were fighting, Abraham and Lot got together. They were family. They loved each other and said, hey, we probably better go our different ways because those people underneath us are not getting along. And that's kind of what Paul is saying here. He says, I have no issues with Apollos, and Apollos has no issues with me. We're just servants of the Lord, but you guys are so carnal and so like, like babies. You're so fleshly that you're 
uh, you're making teams in a sense and following certain individuals. And then he breaks it down even more. He, he says this. He says, who then is Paul? Who am I? Who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. Then he, then he starts talking about this interesting thought. He says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God. There's our phrase. There's our phrase right there. But let's back up before we get to that phrase. He says, I have planted. And I'm not a farmer by any means. But I understand that they're different. You don't, you don't just look at a field and something grow. All right, I do know that. I'm a little deeper than that. I do know that you have to plant something. And I do know that if you plant something and get zero water, it's not going to grow. So I've got some basic levels covered right here. So based on that basic level, I think I can explain this, and I think you understand it, that it, there's going to be some people that are planting. You can have someone over here that waters. The seed doesn't go, uh-uh, I need the same person watering that planted. Let's line that up. No, they don't care. As long as I'm planted and as long as someone watered, there's going to be an increase. And so what he's trying to say here, I think, in generalizing is this. You're, if you're a planter, great. You're just a servant of God. If you happen to water, great. You're just a servant of God. But God gets all the increase. God is the one that causes the growth. So, you know, there's been times when, when I was pastoring, there would be times when maybe uh, I would be working with some people and working with people and, and, and trying to reach them and trying to reach them. And then we have a revival meeting and Chris Chavez come in. He preaches a message and they go forward and get saved. Well, I didn't sit back and say, well, why didn't you get saved when I preach? I have spent three weeks dealing with you, trying to work through all that stuff that you've been going through, and you didn't get saved when I preached, but Chris just comes just comes in here, he starts preaching and running around, and now you get saved? Well, great. Can you see where that division would be so foolish? Now, you'd be surprised at how much that happens in churches, to be honest with you, but, but the idea is this. If that scenario happened... I was planting and planting and planting. Chris came in, and based off the work that was already done with the planting, he watered. But who gave the increase? In the middle of that invitation, the Spirit of God began to move, and God gave the increase, and God got the glory. And so I think what he's getting at here, and what our lesson really, a simple lesson is this today. You and I don't need to be so focused on the increase. We need to be busy watering and planting. That's where we got to be we got to be busy watering and planting. And I think even as a church, and I love our theme this year as a church, that we are powered by prayer. What does powered by prayer mean? That means we're dependent upon God. That means we're not going to get caught up in our numbers saying, you know what, we've, we've got to see this many people saved. We've got to see this many people baptized. We need this many people in our church. We've got to have this. Now, numbers are a part of everything, but the key is we've got to keep planting We've got to keep watering, and God in his time will give the increase. We've got to, the gospel, the seed of the gospel, we've got, to, we've got to get it out there. We've got to share it with everybody. We've got, we've got to share the word of God with everybody, knowing that it's not, the increase is not dependent upon us. When I was pastoring I, and, and, listen, and in some pastor's groups and talking, I, I did sense, and I felt the temptation in my own mind, that there were some people that would get really stressed. You go to a pastor's meeting, and the first thing they say is, how are you? Where do you pastor? Oh, I pastor at such and such Baptist church. And then here's the next question. How many people go to your church? 
First question. And, and, and it's because in our man-made society, we have to have some way to compare. I got to know how big your church is. And sometimes, not everybody, but sometimes we, we put a label with that person based on the size of their church. Well, we probably have more people in this church than the town of Cunot or whatever it is, the suburb of Cloverdale Cunot. But it doesn't mean that doesn't mean anything. Here's, here's what I would what thought, used to think when I was a pastor and what I think about our church. What is the spirit of our church like? Are we carnal or are we spiritual like in this text? Because if we are walking with God, here's what's going to happen. We're going to see some planting, we're going to see some watering, and we're just going to see God give the increase at times that we don't even expect it. We studied the book of Acts together for the full year. What was that? Was that, that was last year? We studied the, the full book of Acts. Did you notice in the book of Acts, those disciples in the first chapter were up in that room praying. They didn't know what to expect. And all of a sudden, God did something. And 3,000 get saved. Now, the, we all, we, if we were modern day, some of the churches in modern day, we'd be saying, well, that Peter, he must be the man. Well, Peter just a you know, 50 days earlier was denying Jesus. He said, I don't know who that guy is. So there was really nothing special about Peter. It's just that God gave the increase and 3,000 got saved. And then Peter and John were walking in chapter number three to that gate. And they got to that gate beautiful. And some, a lame man came to him. And all of a sudden, a couple thousand more get saved because of his testimony. You see, God was given the increase. And so our responsibility is to keep on planting, keep on watering, and let God give the increase. So he says, I have planted Apollos water, but God, there's our phrase, God gave the increase. So now watch this. So then, neither is he that planteth anything. Don't, don't, don't take pride or glory in the fact that you planted. He says, that's, he's not anything. Paul was saying about himself, I'm nothing. Neither is he that watereth anything, but God, or excuse me, so, yeah, verse 7. So neither he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. They're to be working together in unity, working for the, the, the helping a Christian to grow or, or helping a lost person come to know Christ. Now watch this next phrase, though, because this is a sobering thought. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. And I like verse 9, but I'm going to stop here for a second. So everyone's going to receive their own reward based on their own labor. Now where is these rewards taking place? There's, there's this judgment for us one day in heaven, right? Called the judgment seat of Christ. There's, two, there's a couple of judgments. Some people get confused and ask me these questions sometimes. There's the judgment seat of Christ. That's for us when we are raptured out of we're in heaven. And there's the great white throne judgment at the end of the millennial kingdom, and that is for the unsaved, those that have rejected Jesus Christ. The great white throne judgment will end in those that have rejected Christ and are not found in the Lamb's book of life. They will be cast into hell and then hell in the lake of fire for all of eternity. The judgment seat of Christ is for us as believers. And that's talked about in a couple of different passages, but here we talk about where may every, we will give an account for our labor for God. And he says, every man will be rewarded according to his labor. There's several rewards that the Bible even tells us about. You go to James 1, it talks about 
There's a, there's a reward though, there for those that go through trials in life and still keep their eyes on Christ and still love His appearing. Even though they went through some of the most difficult trials, they've, they've kept the faith and they've kept their eyes on Him. The Bible tells us in James, there's a crown of, I think it's called a crown of rejoicing in that one. There's several crowns you can study about. But you and I will be rewarded one day. And then what do we do with those rewards when we get to heaven? Remember what it tells us in the Bible? We take those rewards, and I think realizing and understanding that though we were planting and watering, it was God that gave the increase, we take those rewards and we cast them back to the feet of Jesus. And the thought that I've had, that I have often, and many of it's not original with me, but I don't want to be standing there on that day at the judgment seat of Christ, looking my Savior in the face, the one who died on the cross for me, who was buried and rose again, endured everything, the one we've been singing about an entire life, and we see him face to face, and we have nothing to cast back. Because then what that really says is that I am like, I have spent my life, like Paul started with, very selfish. I've spent my life living it for me, and have accumulated some rewards on this earth, but like our text two weeks ago in Luke 12 when he says, Thou fool, today thy soul shall be required of thee. Then wherein shall these things be? And then he, and then he, then he gets to the point where he says, You're not rich toward God. What is rich toward God? If I brought these two lessons together, I think rich toward God is when we're standing there in that moment and he rewards us for what we've done for him and dependence upon him. And we have these crowns to cast back at his feet to thank him for all that he's done for us. But he says you'll be rewarded for, the, for your, his own labor. Did you notice that? So, I, so Aaron, who always sits in the front, gets picked on by me. But I don't sit up in heaven and say, well, you know what? I, I, I would add a few more rewards if it wasn't for Aaron. Deacon at the church. Couldn't get him to do anything. So how, how am I supposed to be? I mean, if he, if he would have done his job, then I would, I would have, I'd probably add a few more rewards. No, no, no. I'm going to give an account for my labor. He will give an account for his labor. And by the way, when I'm up there at the judgment seat of Christ, I'm not going to be going, oh, how, many, how many crowns did you get, Aaron? It's not going to be any of that. There's none of that. And I, we are a competitive family. But there will be no crown examination. At least not that I know of. I don't see it in the Bible. I can see a McClure or a Clark, though, reaching around like, eh, let's see what he got. But I don't think it's going to happen. Because it's based on our own labor for him. So, verse 9 then, and I'll just kind of wrap it up with verse 9. Because I, I love verse 9. This was a, a lesson I've, I've taught on many times from this, this text. But then notice what he says here to this church, that he's already said some pretty strong things. But he says, we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. And he goes into a whole other illustration that I could go into. He moves from farming, which is husbandry, to a building. And we could go on to that, but I'm not going to because it's the same illustration, just used in a different term. But I love this phrase that we are laborers together with God. So I'm not looking at a room full of fellow competitors. I'm not looking at a room full of people that God expects to be just like me. I'm looking at some fellow laborers. But all of us are laboring together with God. And what does God want? Now, some seem to think that God wants us to be wealthy and happy and all these things. No, God, 
God doesn't need money. He doesn't care about that. Here's what God wants. God created us, we know, to give Him glory and to give Him pleasure. So our life is to glorify Him, ultimately. One of the ways we glorify God is by bearing fruit, by seeing people saved and come to know Christ. He wants us to invest our lives into telling people about the gospel. He wants to invest our lives into helping young Christians grow. He wants to invest our lives in the good, in, in the fruit of the Spirit, and, and being kind and, and encouraging others. He doesn't want us to spend our lives fighting. And I say that because I've been watching a Twitter battle between this group of Christians and this group of Christians. Been watching it for three days. Two of my former teenagers from my old youth group were in one group, pretty loud in one group. And so I watch. I haven't commented yet, and it's tough for me to do. <laughs> I want to. But I've sat here for the last three days and watched this group criticize this group, and this group criticize this group. And I've sat back far from a better than any of them. I'm just a spectator in this, and I thought, there's a lot of strife. Now, I had the benefit of teaching this lesson and being studying and thinking through this text, so it kind of helped me. I don't know that they were thinking about this text, but I thought, what is all of this strife doing for the glory of God? It's not doing anything. But then I think in my own lives, there's times when I tend to get into strife and divisions and, and fightings, but ultimately, whether it be a Twitter battle or whether it be a Faith Baptist Church, we need to focus on this. Am I planting seeds of the gospel? Am I watering where others have planted? Am I, am I creating an atmosphere around my life where people are attracted to Christ? Where, is, there a, is there a salt to the way I live my life in the sense, you know how salt creates a taste, creates a thirst? Does my life create a thirst for Jesus to others? Or am I living pretty selfish to the, to the fact that if somebody even said that I was a Christian at work, that someone told someone else I was a Christian at work, they would be surprised. People ought to know. Our life. We need to plant. We need to water. But God gives the increase. Don't get caught up in how well you're doing planting or how bad someone else is doing watering. You plant, you water, let God give the increase. Let's pray.